Well, it's an honor. Haven't got to play for her in a long time. And uh, those were some very, very, very special years. There's no way that your pastor or I or Chris, either one, could convey those times. And I look forward to your pastor is going, has and will be doing that for others, just paying it forward. And I know that he'll know the satisfaction of having the privilege of investing in people that you are convinced want to do exactly what God wants them to do and are sold out to God. And when he uses the term all in, he's not just talking about you. I, I was able to see that in them a long time ago. And so I'm just thankful um, that the Lord lets us invest in people like that. And the, and the Lord will bless your church in, in that way in the years ahead as well. And so um, <clears throat> the messages that have been preached this week, some have been directly missions related and others have not. And I want to address something your, your pastor mentioned this morning when he talked about a healthy church, a healthy congregation, um, a, a, healthy, a healthy organism just grows. It just does because it's healthy. What, what keeps something from growing is problems in that health and, and things that would, would hinder that growth. And if you can just keep those things out of the way, a healthy organism grows. And, and that's true of churches in every way and in the way of missions, in, in that if a church is healthy, then it is, it is going to grow in missions. Its missions heart is going to constantly expand. Now, one of the differences in, in your pastor, and I, I never was an evangelist. I don't, I don't have the, the gifting, the heart of an evangelist. I've only known the heart of a pastor and therefore, you know, it's not my strength uh, to go in and, and preach on a, a topic like an evangelist would do. I am a pastor-centered preacher. And so um, I have to be careful when I go other places that I don't try to actually pastor there. But I, I, preach, I preach messages that are meant to try to help strengthen the culture of a New Testament church. And so uh, that's what I've dealt with tonight. And I want to end with a message that's not a missions revival ending message. Uh, I'll just tell you that that's the case. But it does deal with that which I have in our own church and in trying to help other pastors that I've been uh, able to be a part of their lives and, and being there. Something that ends up squashing so much in a local church that keeps it from being a healthy organism that grows and it's something that you control. And so I want to deal with that in the message tonight. Turn to Matthew chapter 15. Stand together with me if you would. Matthew chapter 15. There is not a church alive that does not deal with this. And the churches that this gets the best of them, they end up being casualties. The churches that find a way to conquer this, God can use mightily. You're saying, what is it? Well, remember I told you about that inductive preaching this morning? I don't tell you until we get ways in, so you're going to have to pay attention and uh, you'll, you'll see as we get about a little ways through. Matthew 15, verse 21. Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. 
My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her, not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Father, we ask that your will would be completely done in this mission's revival. And, and whether that is the way that we chose or not, we want to know that you have worked. And Lord, I pray that you would use this closing message in a, maybe in whatever preventative way uh, that will help not only preserve what is here, but propel what is here as well. And, and Lord, I pray that every, every member of this church would care enough about this church and then world missions as this church will be involved in it. They'll care about it enough that this message will ring true in their own hearts in the very moments in which it is most needed and yet the easiest to ignore. So use it in whatever ways that you would choose to in Christ's name. Amen. Maybe seated. In a very rare instance here, Jesus goes to an area outside of the Jews. That was unusual for him, hardly ever happened. But he goes to the region of Tyre and Sidon in, in verse 1. And he's, he hasn't done this before and he will not do this again. This certainly was not friendly territory for him, in part because he was a Jew and, and he's, he's going far out of his way here. And the reason I point out Tyre and Sidon being a, a place that he normally wouldn't go, everywhere he went, he went intentionally. And so there's something significant that he wants to accomplish in this story for him to leave the area of the Jews and go to this other area. And so in verse 22, we find a, a woman of Canaan that comes out to him and, and it doesn't probably, it doesn't need, you know, you don't need to be informed of the fact that a Canaanite is not one that would be um, somebody that the Jews would fall in love with or the Canaanites, the Canaanites would be in, in love with the Jews. They were the, they were the absolute worst possible race to a Jew, the, the worst kind of Gentile because they were the ones that that kind of had the overall uh, term of Canaanite in the land when the children of Israel went into the promised land, when, when Moses led them up to it and Joshua led them in. And, and then all the, the Canaanites, all of the various forms of them are in the land of Canaan. And, and particularly the, the Canaanites specifically, they were known for worshiping all these other gods 
such as Baal and, and uh, Astarte and, and all of these. I mean, some of these were, I mean, they were all wicked, but extremely wicked gods. And, and so the Jews had no place being monotheist, meaning worshiping one God, even if they didn't understand everything about him, it was in their mind that there was one true God and that they, they desired to worship him even in an inferior way. That was their desire. But the Canaanites, you know, they were polytheists. They believed in many gods and, and, and therefore the Jews had absolutely no use for them. And in so many ways, this woman from Canaan in verse 22 has no grounds to come to Jesus Christ. None at all. Not based on, on her nationality and not based on her culture. And, and there would be so many reasons that she should not be approaching him. And there would be plenty of reasons that the disciples would not want him approaching her, much like the Samaritan woman in John 4. But somehow, she had come to a point where she had in her mind that this Jesus could do something for her that she absolutely needed done and that she did not believe anybody else could do for her. She became convinced of that. Imagine how bad she wanted what Jesus could do for her, for her to step out of her cultural inclinations and, and all of the, 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 the ways in, in which she could be ridiculed and cast out for going to a Jew for help, and yet... She came to the conclusion, I have to talk to him. I have to ask him. So in verse 22, she came out of those coasts and she cried unto him saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. And that's what she needed. She needed her daughter to be healed. And being a mother and having a mother's heart with a daughter that would be in, in, in a, a condition that would be dire in this case, then she may be and potentially quite likely has tried everything else that she knows to try. And she has not found an answer for her daughter being healed. And so she hears about him and what he's done maybe has come to the conclusion of who he is or, is or is coming to a conclusion through this story who she is as her faith in him begins to take root and begins to grow and then eventually flourish. And she, she pleads with him, I need you to have mercy on me because my daughter needs to be healed. And it's the next few verses that we kind of find hard to believe. Because he, he starts out in verse 23, but he answered her not a word. He flat out ignores her. D doesn't give her the time of day. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God who came to seek and to save that which was lost. And here he has a woman in front of him. He hasn't even gone to her directly. She came to him believing that he had the answers and she's begging for her daughter to be healed. But he answered her not a word. 
That was the first response that she gets from this Jesus that she needed help from so bad, so she thought. But there's a second response. The end of verse 23, the middle of verse 23, and his disciples came and besought him saying, send her away for she crieth after us. Basically, would you get rid of her because she is bugging us? She's getting on our nerves. She keeps crying after you to do something for her daughter. Would you just take care of her because we, we can't stand listening to her beg and plead to just be, be done with her so we can go to the people that we need to be at and go back to our people and, and do whatever the, ever it, it seems that needed to be done. So first off, Jesus ignores her. Second, Jesus' own people, his own disciples that follow him and that he is training, then, then they complain about her. After he ignores her, they complain about her. Then in verse 24, evidently because she continues to persist after Jesus ignores her, after the disciples complain about her, that she's crying after them. Then in verse 24, we get a third response. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He basically says, I'm, I'm not sent to you. And, and she hears that. And then takes us to verse 25. After hearing that, him ignoring her, the disciples complaining about her and towards her, and then, and then Jesus even declaring, I'm not sent to this people. Then even after that, she comes and worships him before his feet saying, Lord, help me. I mean, there's a desperation in this woman at this point. And of course, at this desperation that the Lord says, oh, I'm going to give you exactly what you want. That's not what happened. Verse 26, after she worships him saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. My goodness, so... He ends these responses with what she could take as an outright insult. I mean, what an insult. It's not me to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs, meaning, you know, that the children would be, you know, those who would be of, of the master's family and, and which the, the Jews would be considered the, you know, the, the privilege. And, and, but he says, it's not me to take the children's bread and cast it to the dog. So, so take, don't take that which is left over from, from the children of the, the children of the father of the heavenly father, which they would consider to be the Jews and cast it to the, the dogs of those that would be the Gentiles of which she would be one. And so this is an insult to her. And yet after four different rebuttals from him, starting with silence, then after that last insult, then she comes back with verse 27, and she said, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Wow. First of all, that she believed that that was true. And that he had something to do with the master. 
And she knew still in her heart that if somehow I can break through, he has what I need. And thank goodness verse 28 comes because I don't know that I could take much more of that story. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. I am going to do that which you requested. And, and Jesus heals her daughter from that very point. Commends her faith and gives her what she requested. Simply because it became very obvious she believed in him. And all what that did for her. And it's, it is interesting to me as Jesus is trying to bring her here into real faith to him. And I, there's so many nuances of this passage that we could come from the, the aspect of, of God healing her daughter, of Christ healing her daughter and, and, and the, the faith as it develops and, and her belief in, in all of those things would be valid. And yet what I want to deal with tonight is, is what you see in her that tends to trip up people in our churches today that might would be in a little bit of a similar situation. And our interest in her interaction with Jesus Christ and what we learn from it. Because I read this story and one of the things that I wonder is, is why did this story last even as long as it did? Why didn't this woman just walk away as soon as she was rebuffed? I mean, we have no idea what she overcame to come from where she was to the point to where she would ask Jesus, this Jew, this hated Jew, this, this hated race, in some ways this nationality that, that they had. What, what is it that, that brought her so far to the point where she would ask him and then she asks him and pours out her need and her burden to him and yet he simply answers her not a word. Why didn't that woman realize he's not interested in me? He could care less. He is not what I thought he was. I don't know what I heard. I don't know what all those people said about him, but that's not who I thought I was encountering because he completely ignored me. He didn't even flinch when I told him about my daughter. This could have been a really short story. But it wasn't. Why doesn't she get her feelings hurt and decide he's not worth it? Maybe he isn't so special after all. Why does she go on? Why does she tolerate that after he ignored her, the disciples complain, say, get her out of here. Well, surely if, if maybe she thought in her mind, I don't, I don't think Jesus heard me when I told him about my daughter. So I will keep, I will say it louder and I'll repeat it. Then she realized, no, there's more to this because the disciples are begging him to get rid of me. So if that's what he trains his disciples to do, he must have heard me. I'm done with this. But yet she cries after them still. 
And he says, I'm not sent to you. Well, surely now he has spoken. And he has spoken clearly, basically not sent, but to the lost house sheep of Israel. Well, that, that's clear. If, if she had mistaken the fact that maybe Jesus didn't hear her, and, and that the disciples, that the disciples cried after, but, well, but I still haven't heard from him. If I can just hear something from him, then, then I'll know. Okay, so now she has. And he says, I'm not sent to you. It's how she would interpret that. And, and yet, goodness, she goes one step further. I have no idea why. She says, I, she worships him and says, Lord, in her desperation, help me. And then she has that insult. I have no idea why this story lasts that long. But two things seem to step out of the text and grab us. Number one is what she wanted for her daughter. She wanted it really bad. What she wanted, she wanted for her daughter and she wanted this really bad. She loved her daughter so much and maybe had watched what her daughter had dealt with with this being vexed by a, a devil and whether that was a, a literal demon possession or back then many times they would consider that a sickness was a demon possession. And, and either way they were seeking a, a healing, whether it be a, a, a casting out a demon or whether it would be healing from some sickness. She had watched her daughter deal with that and, and quite likely or potentially a husband not involved here. And maybe she is all that her daughter has left. Whatever all the other factors are, what she wanted for her daughter, she wanted very bad. And second, she had to evidently believe that he had the answers among all others. Otherwise, if either one of those things were not true, she would have been gone after the first ignoring or certainly after the complaining from the disciples or third after his first statement that he's not sent to her or certainly after the insult that she received, but she continued. And you can't seem to find any other reasons except that she wanted what she wanted for her daughter so bad and she believed he had the question. He had the answer to her question. Which begs us to think about this. Could this mother really have afforded to be offended? Could she afford that? I mean, what would she gain by being offended at Christ? Oh, well, I, 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 can, I can tell you what. She might have felt better in the moment. She could have told him off and said, you're not even going to answer me, are you? So much for who you are, so much for thinking you have power. You don't even care about, about a situation like my daughter. Forget that. And she might have felt pretty good and walked away and said, man, I told him off. But she walked away and her daughter is in the same condition. She, she did not gain anything significant by being offended. 
I mean, she, she, can, she can feel like, okay, man, I got, I got to say to him, I got to give him a piece of my mind because of the way that he treated me and, and the way that those disciples acted or what he said or the fact that he didn't give me the attention that I, I think that I needed. And she could feel like, okay, well, now I know that he's an imposter. And so I don't have to worry about that anymore. And so off she goes, but she goes in the exact same condition with, with her daughter in that condition than she was when she came. So what does she gain by being offended at Christ? Maybe a, a momentary good feeling of telling him off, but that's it. What does she lose? Her daughter. She loses the chance for her daughter to be healed. And this woman demonstrates to us not just the aspect of faith, but part of what the, the story of faith that is here, what that is wrapped around is a woman who, who came to the realization that what she, she knew what her need was and she recognized it enough that that need, she would do anything for that need to be met. And that second part is that she believed that Jesus Christ was the one who could meet that need more than any other. And because those two things were true, she would not allow even the worst of things that happened here to bring her to the point of offense because of what it would have cost. And I'm telling you, there is a natural, both a natural and a satanic conspiracy to use offense against you. And it's that which might be, humanly speaking, what hinders more churches from being healthy organisms because they get full of offense. And people get so sensitive that they have lost sight of how bad they need what happens here and where the only source for getting what they need is. There are going to be those in your life they're going to be those that God puts in your life who he wants to use to help you obtain that which you need most. As Sunday School dealt with this morning, God wants us to realize we are so prone to our own blindness, our own blind spots, our own self-deception. And he gives us other people outside of us beginning with him and his word. And then he uses, by, by nature of the family and by nature of churches and by nature of relationships, he uses other people to help us and to help us obtain the things that we need. And, and there are the people that God puts in your life that he uses these to help you like nobody else can help you because he put them there. God uses them in a way that he doesn't use others. He doesn't use people equally. God does, listen, God does not always choose the same people to help us that you and I choose. He has wisdom beyond the wisdom that I have. When I go picking and choosing, here's who I think will help me and I think she can help me and I think he can help me and I think these can do good for me. No, God has said, no, let me tell you, let me tell you by putting some positions in place, the people who can help you the most. 
And I'm going to use them to help you get the things that you need that nobody else can do for you. And unfortunately, there's a human tendency and a satanic conspiracy to cause us to want to cut those very people off. And more times than not, simply through offense. Well, who are they? Well, first, let's apply it to who the text applies to. God himself. Jesus Christ. There, there's no substitute for him. I mean, he, he's it. Uh, if you want salvation, there's no salvation in any other name other than the name of Jesus Christ. You know, you, you want to get to the Father? There's no other way to the Father but by Him. That There's an exclusiveness there. And, and He is the answer to so many things that you need. And, and He has answers to circumstances that is the only, only solution that you have to some of the things that you might face. You cannot afford to get offended at God. That you, you can't go through some circumstance in your life and, and decide, well, okay, if, if, if God's going to allow that in my life, then, then forget him. I don't need him in my life. Let me tell you, friend, you cannot afford to do that. Amen. You need him too bad. And, and you, you, you think, okay, well, I, I did this for him and then he didn't do this for me. And, and I have, I've come to church here faithfully. I've surrendered to the mission field. I've surrendered to the ministry. I'm a faithful worker here. And, and yet God did not fulfill my expectations at this. And the next thing you know, somebody is offended at God. And the very same God that we just sang about with, with man, it's impossible. But with God, man, all things are possible with God. So you can't afford to get offended at him. It's like we talked about with Elihu the other night. It, you know, God doesn't always explain himself, but he's God. And he, he can meet needs at a level that nobody else can in your life. And if you get offended at God and there is this separation between you and him and you start going through something challenging in your life, that you are going to find an empty place that only gets bigger and you're going to find a bitterness that is going to eat you alive because you decided that God was more of the problem than the solution. You cannot afford to get offended at God. It will cost you immensely. I don't know what's happened in your past. I don't, I don't know everything that happened in your childhood. I don't know everything that some, that some spouse has done to you. But God did none of those things to you. You can say, well, God should have stopped this or, 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 or stopped that. I, I, can, I can assure you, and I hope that you have enough confidence in God that one day when you get to present that to God, that God's not going to say, whoops, I missed one. You and I, in our human comprehension and reasoning, there'd be a lot of things that it, it doesn't make any sense for God to say, to explain to us, because we can't comprehend it with human reasoning. It is only with the divine mind can you, can you comprehend all that God does? And I am confident that the worst things that I've seen happen in people's lives, that I myself would say, God, I don't, I don't understand this. One day when I have a chance for him to, 
roll back the veil and, and show us everything that was involved, we're going to say, what a good God we have. Amen. You cannot afford to get offended at him. Yeah. And then, I tell you, not just God and Jesus Christ, but I'm thankful that God gives parents for that purpose as well. I, I realize not, not every home is the perfect environment, but God gave us parents to give us direction. And I, I would say to the younger kids in, in the room that, that you need to realize that, that out of seven, now eight billion people on the planet, out of eight billion people, God chose two to be your dad and your mom. And you need them. And they're going to help you obtain things that nobody else can help you like they do. And, and if, you're, if you're a youth, you come to a point where, where as you grow, you start spreading your wings and, and, and getting ready to, to be you know, your own person. And that is supposed to happen. That's what God designed, that, that, that parents have children to raise them, then to be responsible adults. And they go out on their own and they do their own, own thing. And, and so God gives, gives parents to, to do that. But sometimes youth get to spreading their wings a little bit too early and lose sight of the fact that I still need my mom and dad. Because God chose them. I didn't choose them. God chose them to do things that only he can do through them. And you can't afford to get offended at them. You need to be reminded one day you're going to get the text that Luigi got today. Your mom's about to die. Your, your dad's about gone. You, you can't afford to live in a fence with your mom and dad because there are things that, that you need that if, if you, you have to realize that I need these things in my life so bad, the blessings of God, that you're going to have to have a good relationship with your parents. And then that you realize there are things that you can't get anyplace else. There's no friend who is going to do for you what your parents have the potential to do. You have a spouse. And you need what each other can provide. And, and marriages are, are too vitally important for a spouse, a husband, and a wife to spend time, more time offended at each other and arguing and bickering with each other than they do being able to have some peace and doing what is necessary for them to get along and to actually enjoy being together rather than bickering against each other all the time. What you, what you need is, is too great from a, a spouse for, for you to have offense toward them and to not resolve that and to see it taken care of. And, and how many marriages end up being more of a detriment, not just because one did this or one did this, but because there was a fence that was never given an opportunity to heal. I want to take a moment and I want to remind you about what a, what a wound is. And what a scar is. You recall Thomas came in and, and, and Jesus had come first and Thomas wasn't there. And, and the other disciples were able to see him. But, 
But then Thomas said, you know, I'm not going, I'm not going to believe that it's him until I can see those wounds. And one of the things that tells us that whether we, whether we take it from there or we go all the way back to Isaiah, finding out that he was prophesied to be identified by his wounds, that Jesus was identified by his wounds by the disciples. And even in Revelation 4 and 5, the, the lamb on the throne as it had been slain, he'll still be, in some ways, he's going to be identified by his wounds. And, and you too sometimes are going to be identified by some of those things in, in your life. They have these identifying factors, but God designed our bodies to illustrate something to us that every wound is meant to turn into a scar. And a scar is a memory of a wound that does not hurt. And, and the, the moment that our bodies encounter a wound, then God designed our bodies immediately all of these resources start going to that place where the wound is and it, it, it creates a, a little bit of a, of a change in, in the, the blood so that, so that it can kind of start closing up a little bit and then there comes a scab and then over time it is designed to then leave a scar and yes, a scar is there and it reminds you that all of you have one or, or, or two or, or something on your physical body that you see this scar and it reminds you of a wound that you had but it's supposed to be without the pain. But some people never let it turn into a scar. There are some of you tonight probably living with open wounds. And maybe it scabs over, but then there comes some kind of an offense and you rip that scab off and boy, there's, and it's a fresh wound all over again. And there are people that, that let a, I mean, they, they've, had an, they've had the same wound year after year after year. I, the point is not that the wounds aren't real, but God's grace enables those to turn to scars and to be free from pain. And, and many a marriage needs to let a wound heal and they're not to be an open offense. Obviously one that, that I would emphasize tonight because I'm, I'm preaching to a church is that God in his wisdom chose there to be a, a spiritual overseer at a church. And, and he, he doesn't specifically know everything about your life. He is, he is again, like the, the Job text earlier, he is one who is here with you. Churches aren't pastored by evangelists because they're not with them. They are pastored by pastors who are with them day in and day out. And, and it gives him a sense of, of what to preach to a congregation as God gives, gives him just a, a clarification of, of the word, the same word that you can read, but, but he knows application that he can give. And God puts a pastor here to, to provide that kind of, of meat and potatoes that people need so that they can learn and they can grow from that. And he gives a, a pastor, I'm convinced because he holds a pastor accountable, eventually it gives account for his pastoring that God gives some discernment as to how to lead a congregation. And there are things that you need from a pastor who is the, the primary third party in your life, God-ordained third party that God uses in your life and he's not optional and God puts him there to do things in your life that you need more than just about anything else in your life once you're out of the house. Church member, you need a pastor. 
And you cannot afford to be offended at a pastor. The one who preaches the word of God to you service after service after service. What do you gain by being offended at the one that God has placed here to preach to you? You know, I know obviously God is perfect. And your human authorities are not, but they don't have to be perfect to help you. God chose them in their imperfections. And, and you have to be careful because we do reap what we sow. And, and if one says, well, I don't have to follow my pastor because he's got his own, he's got his own weaknesses. Well, so do you. And, and you better be careful because the day may come when you wish that, that somebody would submit to you for their own good. But they're not going to because they see your imperfections. And you might have demonstrated to them well, if somebody's imperfect, you don't have to follow them. Well, then we would have no authority anywhere because there are no perfect people. Members and families cannot afford to be offended at spiritual authority that God places in their life. You may have to come to a point where you say, okay, I just can't follow anymore. Then you need to go someplace where you can, where there's a pastor that you can set under and say, I'm, I'm going to soak up the word of God from him. You need that. You have to have a pastor. There is no other God-ordained position in your life that God himself uses to instruct you spiritually. You can get a lot of counsel and you need to, but God said there is one that I want him to be able to lead you and he needs to be able to do it with joy and not with grief. And you know why? Because that's unprofitable for you. You watch it over time. People who decide, I don't need what God has for me through my pastor. You watch how unprofitable it ends up being for them over time. I've watched it over and over and over again. I've been with your pastor long enough and understand, at least, I realize I can't read every bit of a heart, but I've been with him through a lot. And I can tell you, he has a desire for God's absolute best in you. I've never heard an inkling of anything from him that I thought he just wants to get even with that church member. I have heard him weep over some of you. It's what God gives you in a pastor, and you need that. You might have teachers, you might have instructors, you might have people that God brings into your life. But you're going to have to be able to do what this lady did. And I, you, you could even take the, the kinds of offense that she dealt with. You might come to a point in time in your life where, where it's the same as, as Jesus being silent. You say, well, they, you know, some people, their version of this, well, well, he didn't even show up at the hospital for me. He doesn't care. Well, she could have said that and the cost would have been high. If she'd have said, forget it, I don't need him. Listen, there, there are times people are going to be silent in your life. They're, they're not going to say what you want them to say. They may not be there when exactly at the moment that you want them to be there. They may not answer everything in the exact way that, that you want them to be there. But what you're going to have to ask is, okay, does that mean I can do without them? No. You cannot afford to be offended at those people that God has placed in your life. Then the group complained about her. 
well, these other people, not Jesus, but these other people were saying bad stuff about her. It, it, I, I don't know how many times I've heard in the ministry, people have just gotten offended because somebody else said something about them and it's like it changed their whole life. Well, it didn't change anything. It was just words. And, and somebody said something and okay, so they did and, and, and God can take care of that if he needs to, but you can't afford to go off and get offended just because somebody complained to somebody else about you. That, that's life. And there are things that we need in life too much. You need the unity of a local church. You need the, the opportunity to support these missions and not let some offense become a wound that festers and turns into something so much bigger where now you've got a church split on your hands because somebody heard somebody else complain about them and that offense grew. And especially if it was about somebody's kids and I don't want to get in territory where I shouldn't be, but, but it, it's the same in every church. A lot of times the, the offenses come from moms over their kids and, and when you find that starting to brew, man, sometimes a pastor has a battle on his hands and, and he's, he's simply going to the men and saying, listen, God gave them to you, not to me. Would you please help take care of this? Because we cannot afford to have a church that doesn't have unity. I mean, is it, is it really worth Canaan Baptist Church having major dissension just because somebody says, well, they complained about me. No, it's not. This, this woman could have said, your, dis, your disciple said this about me. Well, ma'am, do you still want your daughter healed? Yes. Okay. Then, then you, you need to keep in your life and pay attention and give credence in your life to the people God placed there. And God had placed Jesus Christ in her life and God has placed people in your life and my life. Well, he insulted me. It's not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Well, th that sounds like an insult, but Jesus wasn't actually insulting her. If she would have taken it that way, it would have cost her a lot. And the fact is, maybe she was going to have to say, okay, maybe that sounds like an insult, but I need my daughter healed. And so I'm not going to be that sensitive to the insult to let that happen. And getting to the end and... And she's finally able to say, but, but this is really what I need. And I'm going to have to trust you for it. And Jesus met her need. So I want to ask you tonight, do you realize there are things that you need in your life so bad that you, you refuse to let offense stop you? That you, that you recognize I, my family needs a church like this. My family needs a church that stands where this church is. My family needs a church that is unified. My family needs to see a, a, a mom and a, and, a, and a dad, or they, they need to see a marriage that works this well, and they need to see people who, who care about people's souls. And, and there are just things that you would realize that you need so bad that you'll decide, I, I can't afford to get offended. I, I can't afford to do without that. And then that you would recognize there are people that God has placed that we need something from too much. And we cannot afford to get offended, particularly at them. Maybe there's something that needs to be done in a family tonight. Maybe some things that need to be done in a church. Church, it wouldn't hurt to be preventative about this. Amen. That, that you say, I love our church so much and what God is doing here. And I, I love it so much. I'm going to do everything I can to protect it. 
So protect it first in your own heart from offense. And then you be one to protect it from other people's offenses as well. Don't take up other people's offenses. It can do the same damage. I was so thrilled this morning to come into men's prayer meeting and I hadn't been at men's prayer meeting here in a long time and to see such a greater number of men, men together and men praying. I mean, that is so, so vital. You're going to love that so much even more through the years because it just builds a camaraderie among the men. But men, don't, don't just be ones that show up at men's prayer meeting and say, well, we're going to show up to that. When you come, man, be that camaraderie. Be those men that are, that are clear. Listen, God is doing something here. It's obvious. He's given us a pastor that loves us and, and preaches to us. And, and he's, he's blessing you in some significant ways. And you decide, boy, we need this so bad. Our families need it. And Covington needs it. And the surrounding communities need it so bad that we cannot afford Forward to let an offense wreck it. Would you be willing to really beg God tonight, say, Lord, don't let it happen to me and let me help avoid it in other people as well because we value it so much. Let's stand together, every head bowed.